This is an excellent rally for the Cannonball. And oh, wow. Welcome to the Two Doc Chronicles, your one solution to all things squash. I'm Bruce Huberman with co-host Miles McIntyre, here to reveal a game with stories worth listening to. All right, I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Two Doc Chronicles podcast. This is season two, episode eight, entitled Growing Up Egypt. And I've been waiting for this episode for a really, really long time. And, uh, but this, I think, is the perfect time uh, for it. Um, we have really two distinguished guests with us today. We have Ali Abu Alainin, who's a recent graduate of the U University of Pennsylvania and who's now uh, playing full time on the PSA tour and just killing it for his first year. And we have Hashem El Attar a distinguished player in his own right, and uh, now on a prominent coach. And uh, he is the director of squash at Squash Advantage out in Whippany, New Jersey. And uh, we have a special, special guest host today, Charlie Johnson, who was with us a couple episodes ago talking about West Coast squash. And he's really excited to be with us today. So welcome, Charlie. And uh, we'll get started. Ali, I've known you for years, and uh, I used to see you at the U.S. Open. You were this, you know, come with the Egyptian uh, cavalry, and uh, you were a standout. I think you were always playing up in a division or two. And uh, you were just a treat to watch. And I know Morgan, uh, you know, you guys were, you know, sort of friendly when you saw each other. And uh, so uh, I'd like to welcome you. And uh, why don't you just tell us how you got started um, with squash and uh, where you grew up in Egypt and just a little bit of uh, your road to the University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Hi, Bruce. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I remember seeing you at the the U11s US Open with Morgan it's just crazy how fast the time has been uh, it's been going and and yeah I, I grew up in Alexandria in Egypt uh which is like a couple of half hour hour drive from Cairo and uh uh my brother grew up playing squash he's 5 years older than me I'm I'm sure you know safe yeah of course um, I mean that that was my first introduction to your family meeting safe <laughs> and uh he's got a little size difference on you though you know I know he's like he's like six three, and I'm I'm five nine on a good day. So something went wrong. But was he just not um, allowing you to eat? Is he was taking all the food at the, you know, back? When I you know, were yeah. I'll, I'll blame it on him. But, but yeah, um, I grew up watching my brother play, and um, I, whenever whenever I got a chance, I would go and watch his practices and matches, and and also my grandpa was um, was a lifelong player, and and. You know, he continued his legacy and he was vice president president of the Egyptian Squash Federation. So uh, you can sort of say squash sort of runs in the family. So which club did you play at in Alexandria? I played at Sporting Club, uh, which happens to be just 15 minutes away from my from my house. So uh, it works out great. Mm. Was it when you started? Um, 
what sort of like was the daylight? Like, when did you, how did you like, how old were you first? And then um, were there a lot of, you know, young players like you at the club at the time? So for me, it was just so fun being, being at the club and watching my brother. Never like, you know, there was an open court. I would just grab a racket and start hitting. And, and I just remember the first time I hit and, and, you know, it just felt great. And I just wanted to get better and better. And growing up, my, my goal was to beat my brother. Um, he was just like, always oh, so good. And obviously five years older, but, you know, every time I stepped on court with him, I would just want to beat him and I wouldn't leave until he lets me win. Um, but yeah, no, I started actually playing when I was five and a bit by bit, I started playing with a coach and all I wanted to do was just get better and, and be like my brother. That's amazing. I mean, I can just equate that to eventually beating my dad in ping pong. I mean, it was just, uh, it took some time. But eventually, uh, I, I was able to figure it out. Um, so, you, do you remember like your first few tournaments that you played, and and how did that go? I remember my very first tournament. It was actually at Sporting Club. Um, I I was I think eight years old, and I was playing in the U11s division. Um, and I was I was just really excited to play. I think I won my first match in three, and then I got destroyed in my second match. I was just so young and so small and all these kids were bigger than me. And uh, yeah, I think, I think physicality at that, you know, when you're at that young age, it's, it's a big difference. I mean, you may have skill, talent or whatever, but if someone is, you know, much more mature at that age than you and stronger, it's very, it's, it's difficult. It may not be a, truly a better squash player. No, 100%. But, yeah. And it was just so fun for me to just actually to finally play in a tournament at that age and, and since then, I wanted to play every single tournament. And uh, no, yeah, growing up in sporting, with, surrounded by all those good players, and obviously with squash running in the family, it was an exciting time for me. Hmm. So um, I, I'm going to just say I have one other like. So what what was the decision process for you to instead of like going from you know high school to the pro tour and you know not going to college? How how did you look at that? <laughs> And how did, how was that decision made for you? For me, actually, before going to Penn, I went to high school in the United States as well. And uh, in 2011, uh, there was a revolution in Egypt and things were a bit unstable. Uh, and we sort of didn't really know what where things were heading. Then, uh, and my family had a, had the green card and we had the opportunity to visit the U.S. every year. And, and my brother and I played the U.S. Open every year, so we were exposed to those uh to, to, to a lot of high schools and a lot of colleges and and in 2011 my brother got the opportunity to go to brook school and you know occasionally i would go and visit and I, I really fell in love with the school uh and i eventually applied and got in and and from there i had my eyes set on uh on, on playing college squash in the u.s because you know that's a big thing i mean my opinion is like if you're uh not going to walk out and be like, you know, top 10 in the world at that, at your age, you know, and, and not going to, you know, to college. I think um, a college education is just an amazing, amazing opportunity to uh, grow and network and get an education. And squash is not a, you know, foregone conclusion that you're going to be able to, you know, things happen. And uh, so I think you have something, you know, an education to fall back on once you're all said and done or just uh, add to what you're doing and, you know, your knowledge base and uh, 
I think, I think it's fantastic. So I think, you know, that's my opinion. I don't know if you feel sort of the same way. No, um, you couldn't have said it better. Just, just coming in here, um, you know, going from uh, high school in the States and then coming, did you have a lot of options um, when you were applying to colleges? So I looked at every college <laughs> that had a squash program. <laughs> and I mean, I, I looked at like the top 10 colleges for squash, obviously all the IVs and then there was Trinity and, and at the time, I think Rochester and uh, and St. Lawrence were, were were at the top of the game as well. Yeah. So uh, I tried to keep my options open as much as I can. And um, obviously, my brother went to Harvard, and he's sort of been in the. He went through the same shoes as I have as a player, as, as someone who went to Brooks, and as someone who went on and, and played uh, college squash as well. So having him guiding me through the way was great. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he obviously always, he wanted me to go to Harvard, but he also wanted the school that was the best fit for me. And, uh, and when he graduated, he moved to Philly and then, oh. you know, it actually worked out great for us. And then that's where Gilly, Gilly comes in, Gilly comes into play, you know, works his magic. Brooks, he, yeah, he works his magic. He, 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 he went on a seven hour drive to come see me at Brooks and, and we had a lunch on campus and we talked about Penn. And he showed me this like fancy plan of the, of the new facility. And, and, you know, at the time, Andrew Douglas as well uh, made the decision to go to Penn. So for me, it was just a great fit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could have ended up, you know, with a, with a better player coach than Gilly. I think uh, the kids on the team really, really fight hard for him. So he's, I think he's like a player's coach, which is, uh, you know, you can't say that about all the coaches, but uh, I think, he really demonstrates that and it's real family. And uh, so I think you wound up at a great, at a great place. No, definitely. I mean, when I look back at my time at Penn, it's just like the one thing he stresses on is just the, the culture at Penn. And if you look at, if you look at Penn, like 10 years ago, it wasn't what it is now. I mean, right now it's pretty diverse. You got players from all over the world and, and we're all very close to each other. And I graduated, but I'm still in touch with everyone on the team. And I always go back and train with them whenever I'm in Philly. So, uh, so it, a lot of that go, comes down to Gilly and also Stuart, you know, Stuart Crawford, he's the assistant coach now. And in the past three, three or four years, he's, he's played an amazing role into what the program is today. Yeah, it, it it looks like it's going in the right direction, and uh, it looks like the the sales are up and it's it's going full steam ahead. Really, uh, it's going to be interesting this weekend or next weekend with the the men's Ivy Leagues. Um, I think pairing with a shot. What would you say? I think Harvard already clinched the Ivies, but I think Nationals is Nationals. National yeah, Nationals is next week at Trinity. What do you think? <laughs> um, I don't know. I've 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 got a little feeling uh, like. Harvard could get their boat rocked a little bit. Um, I think, like you said, Penn, Penn are pretty strong. But uh, I think it all comes down to on, on the day who handles it better. There's a lot of pressure there. Isn't it? Have you been in a final before? Yeah, twice. I've been to a final at Harvard and a final at home, and we lost 5-4. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it, on paper, it doesn't really matter who actually wins because it all comes down to the day, like you said. Yeah. There's just a lot of a lot of factors that play in like sleep, nutrition, injuries, COVID, all these things that you don't account for. Refing, I guess. Um, right. But, exactly. Uh, you know, you know, things happen, but I think, I think, I think it's going to be a close match. It's going to be fun to watch and, and Penn's going to, Penn's going to clinch it this time. 
you always want, uh, you know, I guess there'd be a slight underdog, but you know, you know, you got to root for the underdog, but they still got to get there. There's other really good teams. And, uh, so hundred no, percent, right. So if you just let your guard down, you never know. I mean, you, that's why you got to be careful and just focus one, one match at a time. And, uh, I, th- I have one more question with you, Ali, and then hopefully we'll, we'll get his shem on and uh, go from there. So I don't know what type of diet you're on, but uh, did you ever have the Philly cheesesteak? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, when you're in Philly, it's hard not to have a cheesesteak. I've, I've, I've had a lot of them. I've had Jim's, Bats, Geno's, all those. I, I really like Bats. Well, uh, yeah, Jim's G- steak cheesesteak. Uh, my friend from high school, his, it was, his dad started that. His last name is Pro, Proetta. So, uh, yeah. you know, no, I love, I love Jim's, Jim's cheesesteaks. They're all good. I mean, who doesn't like a cheesesteak? You know, they're all a little different, but, uh, so, um, Shem, are you with us? I hope so. Can you oh hear my me? God. Look at you. Great. Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, we are so honored to have you here today. Oh, thank Shem. you. Thank you. It's my and uh, I know you've known Ali for a while. And um, so uh, I think this pair is uh, pretty good. And I think you guys will be very informative for our audience. I once said to Ali that maybe I knew him longer than he thought, because uh, when he was very little, talking about his early years, I used to be amazed watching around the courts, much smaller than the other kids and beating them. So <laughs> Yeah, he, he was very, uh, yeah, he was so much fun to watch. I mean, yeah. I think he had more energy in his, in his, his left foot than I think the rest of, you know, the, the draw. And uh, he was just always uh, exciting and just a well-behaved and uh, just a, you know, a good kid. And you always yeah. sort of pulled for him. And uh, so do you remember that Ali? He's known you for a while. I, I, I've always known him. Obviously he's been, one, I mean, he is one of the best coaches in Egypt and one of the best coaches in the world. So I, I always knew who he was, but I didn't actually know he knew me. Um, but yeah, now we're now we're working together and trying to trying to, you know, penetrate into the top 20 and hopefully the top 10 soon. You know something? It's uh, the way I look at it. It's there's no. Uh, it's better like the steady rise rather than hitting it and then collapsing. So I think, you know. It takes time to figure it all out because it's a lot different than the, uh, you know, the college game or the junior game. And uh, but uh, I think you're on the right pathway. So that's great. So, Shem, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey growing up and when you were introduced to squash and how that all worked out. And now you're one of the most prominent coaches in the world. And uh, so let us hear about your, you know. Okay. Well, I hope I'm not too long. Uh, So I I started off uh, in India, uh, funnily. Um, My dad used to work there, and and he was a very keen tennis player. So I I walked into squash courts by mistake. It was this small building next to the, the tennis, and my dad used to let us play a little bit of tennis with him before he started with his uh, his partners and friends and stuff. And and then after. You know, he finished with us and started playing. I'm walking around the tennis courts and and there's this building and I'm hearing the sound of a squash ball, you know, against the wall and echoing from the inside. And um, I walk in and I see this game and I, I go back and the next day I say to my dad or maybe maybe even the, the same evening, 
I want to play that game. I just like the way that you take a full swing at the ball, probably without, you know, worrying too much about it going out. <laughs> so you had a good wall to hammer onto. And, uh, you know, all the speed and action and sound and everything, that really excited me. I was only um, like six years old. So um, so that was a long time ago. Um, and then uh, I, I, I'd give away my age if I said how long that was, <laughs> how many years back. Well, you're not, I don't think you're the oldest <laughs> in the room, though, Hashem. I may be a little older. It could be a little older than I'm, you. I, I turned fifty nine, so uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna save you the. the I'm sixty two. I'm sixty two, so I'm older. I made you say it. I made you say. It. <laughs> so uh, and then after that, I uh, I went back to uh, Egypt, played there. Then we went to England, uh, played there. We used to live um, uh, in the south in Surrey. And uh, so I played there, went back to Egypt again, went back to England again. So it was a back and forth between school, college, finishing college in the UK. And, uh, you know, so so that was basically how, uh, you know, I, I, I got into squash and continued playing squash between uh, Egypt and, uh, and England. And uh, I learned a lot from playing in, in England as a junior, but I also learned... Um, a lot uh, from playing in Egypt because it's pretty different squash. Uh, the styles are different. The the concept is different. Um, and so I I was very very lucky to to be picking up a little bit of this and a little bit of that as I went back and forth. Uh, then uh, in England um, the. You know, the last few years when I was in college, I was also playing the American Express League, which is the Premier League now. It was sponsored by American Express and everybody was playing at it, apart from Jahangir at the time. But later on, Jancher played it. And um, I'm, I'm not sure that Jahangir ever got the, the chance to to play it. He, he was like way too good uh, compared to the other players. And uh, his budget was, you know, uh, for for a club to handle, I think at the time he was just uh, like out of everybody's league, and uh, it, it wasn't the the right thing for him to do at the time. But it it was just it gave me a a great opportunity to be pl being in college and playing with the top pros, everybody. So so that was a great experience. Um, when I was in Egypt, I. I, I played as a junior, of course, and I remember winning the uh, the age divisions. And uh, I guess that begs the question, like, was I a good player or was Egypt going through a bad patch at the time? <laughs> so, <laughs> Which club did you play at in Egypt? Do you remember? The, the Gazira Club. Okay. The Gazira Club. Yeah. So, uh, and, and before that, I did play a few years at the shooting club. So I was between uh, Gazira and shooting because our families were uh, like members in both. And, and it depended on the, the squash situation at the time, you know, where we would, uh, which courts we'd pick. Yeah. So basically then, that was my, uh, that was my squash. Okay. So uh, in terms of coaching, what uh, gave you the impetus to, you know, start coaching? The, the coaching, I think it was, uh, first of all, something uh, that they let us do that was very nice when we were kids were, or, or older kids was to coach the younger kids. 
uh, like if we had a morning squash session or something like that, and it was open to all levels. Um, you know, once we became the better players, maybe they would have us uh, just the better players play together. But in order to, not to uh, isolate us from the newer, younger players, instead of having us play, you know, match play with them to please everyone, they, they'd let us coach them, which I think was a great idea and very reasonable because nowadays you get parents always saying, oh, why is my kid in this group and not in the higher group? And I want him to play with this. But then again, the higher group, of course, if they have the same way of thinking, they wouldn't want to be playing with the lesser players. They want to play with even stronger players. It just doesn't work out. So one way of fixing it was having us being happy playing, you know, our level of players, which were older and stronger and, and more experienced players, but at the same time, give back to the younger players by being on court with them, doing a few drills, some instructions, or teaching them something uh, new to them. And, and you know, so so that was a, a great way of uh of being introduced to to teaching somebody so so that was one factor the other one i think was um very much the jahangir uh, phenomenon when he came about he was like beating everyone from first round to final uh with very low scores of course it wasn't like a uh every rally uh score uh, point system, but you know that was the change of serve. But he was still giving them really low scores. Like he would be winning the matches nine two and nine three, uh, just every game like that throughout the tournament. And so it just you know it was always on my mind what makes him so much better, and and that made me really interested in in analyzing because I was definitely struggling at one point as a player, and. Uh, uh, I, I was always, you know, looking for solutions. How could I improve my game? How could I be uh, competitive against, uh, you know, players in the, in the top 10 or even higher than that? How could I break through? And what is it that he has that makes him so different? So definitely picking uh, or nitpicking everything, uh, you know, everything that he has as a player, qualities, playing patterns, uh, strengths, whatever, uh, if he does hold his racket differently or technique or whatever it was, it made me really want to analyze everything. And and I think that is the, the, the point where I started writing more and more about, uh, you know, techniques and how to be a better player and how to be fitter and, and all that. Uh, I think that's what really triggered it. Yeah, I, I think just getting back to a point you made, I think, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more today about like sort of the secret ingredients that, you know, makes the Egyptian squash players, uh, you know, the best in the world. And they've sustained for a while now and just players just keep coming up and uh, being very successful. But uh, I think it's a little different here that, you know, I mean, there's some and I think Charlie could, you know, talk about this, too, about um having the, you know, the older players having an influence and more almost like a family and, uh, you know, getting on court or teaching or shedding some of their wisdom to the younger players. And I think that's part of the, you know, ingredient that makes, you know, I mean, 
Here, I think in the U.S., or at least it's getting better because obviously there's a lot of, you know, coaches like, you know, you and not like like you, but uh, there are a lot of coaches in the U.S. And I think they're trying to like establish that and, you know, have everyone feel comfortable with everyone and the, and the you know, older players giving back. Because at one point they were one of the younger players and uh, someone looked down upon them and uh, tried to help them. And uh, so I think it's perpetuated itself. And uh, I think that's one of maybe one of the things I know with, with my son, it wasn't, you know, everyone was very isolated when he started here. And, um, you know, everyone was sort of secretive a little bit about like what they were doing and who they were training with. And it wasn't, and there was not a lot of match play when, you know, were offered to be, you know, match play for him. And so I think it's, uh, it's key. And, um, I don't know how you, and I think Charlie's really trying to promote that on the West coast as like, you know, family and integrating the better players. Sometimes maybe they do handicap drills with some of the younger players. And, uh, I think it has a big effect. You agree, Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. Something similar, something similar to that. I'm just trying to, you know, look at the coaches are doing it right. And I, you know, I think, yeah, where it's, where it's at right now, I was thinking, um, yeah, Hesham, just what would you say is a, a little bit of the secret sauce to, you know, what the Egyptians, everyone has their particular style. Like you say, you grew up playing, you know, England and Egypt and you've got a good pedigree of, of both. And what would you say you took from, the English side of the game and then the Egyptian side of the game. And what do you think made your teaching style so specific? I think from, uh, from England, uh, you have techniques that are very uh, sort of textbook in, in terms of correctness and in terms of distancing, positioning, mechanics. Okay, which is a very, very good background. Hmm. Uh, it's a very good, good background and setting. Uh, because if you work around that and you have that kind of mindset, uh, you're really looking at ideal and perfection in terms of entry, positioning, swings, all that. The and and then you have the in terms of uh, you know fitness wise, it's very much uh, science based. I'm not saying that in Egypt it isn't because we have some very very good uh, you know doctors in uh, you know PhD uh, uh, doctors who who work who work a lot with players on their physical fitness and also on their the healing and, and, and sports medicine. So they're very, very learned. Uh, but I would say that maybe in, in the UK, in terms of fitness, it was very, very traditional not to push the kids at a young age. So the fitness component would come in maybe a couple of years later. Uh, at the same time, talking about, you know, technique, very, very mechanically sound. Uh, maybe to an extreme. And when it comes to strategy, there's a lot more structure about the strategy and mm. and, and what to do uh, with the ball in terms of where to send it on court. The Egyptian style I found was more about, hey, don't always stick to perfect mechanics. Uh, 
which in a way is is very interesting because yes. when you do get close to closer to the ball you have more joint maneuvering ability and more range in the amount of movement that you could produce from each joint rather than when you're totally extended you can't do that and so you get to learn different timings mm. of, of connecting to the ball in different body shapes mm. and with that the egyptian way of playing is to very much get into your opponent's head like what would they be thinking what they would they be expecting so instead of look you know being totally focused on what's the perfect position and shot and way to hit that ball to make the ball go straight or cross court or a nice tight drop shot they're thinking more like what is it that that player expects at this moment and what would they expect when I take an extra step? And if this extra step is quick or slow or more to the left or more to the right, what kind of shot do I look like I'm shaping up for? And then switch that to a different shot. So it's a little bit more cunning, a little bit more uh, deceptive. And, and you do that also because of the freedom that you have in terms of, in terms of technique. So it's not just where you send the ball but how you send the ball to that place to that part of the court and yeah. and so i i think that is a a main difference uh between the two and and of course as i you know switch from one area to the other one country to the other playing and coaching and stuff like that that was always you know the mix that i i took along with me mm. that's that's awesome i I completely understand that. And I think when you look back at the English style, you've got like the greats of Malcolm Willstrop, a great ball striker, you got David Pearson, a great technician and, and, and Corecraft in the brain. And, and then you've got this new generation, Adrian Stiff and Rob Owen and, and lots more amongst them. And then you've got that Egyptian crop of just um, phenomenal brains on the court, if, if not anything, so much more as well. Um, in, in in Ali's game, Ali, what would you say um, you had as a junior and you've added to your game now? Wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, I think as a junior, I was pretty I was pretty skillful. I was a very skillful player. I would like run around, try to go for like cool shots, and <laughs> I, I was a pretty competitive kid. But there, 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 I always wanted to win. But there was less about strategy. Right now, right now, I think I'm adding strategy to my game, just like really preparing before playing matches, knowing exactly what I want to do. And Hisham is really helping me a lot with that. I mean, we sit before matches and we watch we watch film and we watch the players we're going to play. And, and, you know, we try to have a clear game plan. And I've never really done that before. Uh, I've done it a little bit in college, but not to that extent of detail. And uh, I think that's helped me a lot, sort of having a clear game plan of what I'm doing on court and, and studying opponents. And that's been really interesting. Do you think there's some of the differences um, between, you know, your preparation for the college game as opposed to in the pros now? In college, your your goal is to win five of the nine matches that you play. And and a win, a win for you doesn't necessarily mean a, a win for the whole team. So you're sort of trying to prepare all nine players for a match as opposed to just preparing yourself for that match. Um, and, you know, when you, when I play with the team, we have breakfast together, we have dinner together the night before, you know, we, we head to the match together as opposed to just being all alone. 
and uh, it's definitely different and it takes a little bit of time to adjust going from, from playing in college to playing professionally. Uh, but I've, I'm really, I've really enjoyed the transition. It's been, it's been a dream for me. Hasham, one, one thing here, Ali, Ali was alluding to the, the tactical side in his game. And I find this a really hard thing to kind of teach, especially the juniors coming up because you tell them, you know, you, you've, you've got to play a little bit straighter. So then they just play straight and they don't play short. They don't play cross. They just play straight. You tell them to play deeper and they just play deep. You know, like I'm sure this is quite a hard thing and maybe how you worked on this with Ali to kind of implement them tactics and how do you teach that a little bit better and get it to sink in different tactics, styles, patterns of play? Well, obviously with younger players and, and, and uh, you know, juniors, they could have a very short-term memory in terms of, you know, you're saying, you're saying that to them between games and they throw out every, everything else that you've said to them before the match, which creates, you know, the, 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 the big picture put together. And they yeah. would just remember that little thing that you said to them at, at the beginning of, uh, of the game. And they would just focus on that and forget everything else. So I think, you know, the, that's happened to me. And, and a lot of the time, they do the exact opposite of what you tell them to do or ask them to do. You know, I'm sure that's happened to you as well. So the only way that you can get through that, I believe, is to make a point, uh, a note or, or whatever, um, when that happens, and then take it back to practice after the match and say, look, you might even have a video of what's happening. And then you, you just sit down with the player and say to them, remember that it was a whole picture that we talked about before the match. And now I was just stressing one part that you should do a little bit better or a little bit more of, or make sure that you're doing it well before you adventure into other playing patterns and, and opening up the game or looking for winners or whatever. So it's going back to the drawing board and saying, you know, Remember when we talk about a whole plan, then you shouldn't make that little uh, hint become your whole plan. And the other thing is, of course, I love to uh, when I when I teach the kids, like say to them, uh, we're doing this drill because this is where it fits into a match. Mm. It either fits very well into a certain mm. rally or it fits very well in a, into a certain theme. So if you're thinking about strategy, where, for example, you have to be using volleys, but using them to switch play from one side to the other, then you do the drill where there's an example of a volley that you know holds your opponent to one side of the court so that you're preparing to open up the court for the other side so that volley to switch to the other side of the court works. So you're actually helping them with the context of where to put in that drill. And then there's the talk outside of the court again, together with, with that demonstration and repetition of a, of a, of a drill. And so they, they're able to link what they're doing on court with the advice that is given them off court, as opposed to, for example, a drill where they're going to use the volley to go short, for example. And, you know, the, while you're doing that drill with them, you can also go into more detail, like how quick is that ball going back and forth? And before you attack or before you uh, go short, 
how quickly are you onto the ball? So you can get the, you know, the time factor, mm. the time lapse factor between your opponent's shot and your shot into the drill so that the player can actually feel it while mm. they're doing it. So that when you're talking words and reminding them of this kind of pattern or sequence or timing, they absolutely understand what your words are. They mm. don't like take your words and maybe their interpretation could be something very, very different because of their only words and using the, their imagination. But when you're actually doing it as a drill on court with them, you're sustaining and backing your words with this is how it feels on the court. Mm. Yeah. So I have a question for you. So uh, both for both of you guys, I'm looking at, you know, the top players in the world now, Ali Farag, uh, Mustafa Asal, Shurbuggy. How do you look at their styles and do you see their styles as similar and what they bring to the game? And do you think their their styles are sort of the future or the younger players should, I mean, I know you want to be an individual and have your own, you know, you know, sort of style and game, but what do you see in the top three players there that uh, you find, um, why they have so much success and what they're doing maybe a little differently than the other players. Ali? I mean, the first the first one that comes to mind when you say that is Shrubagi. I mean, if you've seen Shrubagi play in the last 10 years, like every year he's played a little bit differently. And I think part I think a big part of why he's so good is, is that he's able to adapt to all different styles of play. And I think I don't think there's one particular style that it's it's good or there's one particular way to play to, to, to like succeed in playing the game but it's just always about adapting it's always about learning from one one tournament to the next and seeing how you and your own individual game can improve and and to me it's like it's not about you know mimicking a certain type of, of play it's sort of seeing where my strengths are at where my weaknesses are at and sort of trying to make my strengths stronger and my weaknesses less weak i would say against those top guys and Hashem, and, and, you know, when you uh, sit down and watch those guys play, I mean, are there certain characteristics that they have that maybe the other players haven't gotten to that point yet that makes them so successful? Because it's like in tennis, you know, you got the, the top three at the moment and, um, you know, they're, they're down, in, you know, in a five-set match, and, but they notoriously win. So they know how to win. They have this edge. So what do you see in the top players that give them that edge? That uh, is it mental strength? Is it physical strength? What do you see? It's 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 a combination of everything. Okay, so for example, with juniors who are not fully developed yet, they're going to have phases where they're one kid is stronger or one kid is very talented with their uh, front court shots, or one kid is very fast and a good retriever, okay? Or one kid is very, very focused. Like, of course they have the other components, but they have some components that are predominant, all right? But those are less complete, less developed players. They're still juniors and moving on in their development and improvement. So they could have some factors that are helping them through to produce the good results. When you get to the top players, they have to have everything. They can't have loopholes in their um, in their game. Mm. And 
they have to have a very good balance between the the physical, mental, emotional, uh, strategic, technical, and you know, so they have to be very well balanced. They have to have everything at the top of their game there, and they have to not only know how to link these strengths because they definitely are linked. The amount of fitness that you have. Uh, very much conditions or the type of fitness that you have very much conditions the type of rally that you need to be playing. The type of rally that you can produce depends a lot on your skills and technique and what you can produce with your body positioning and body shapes to produce certain shots or uh, hide certain shots. So it's very much an awareness of your abilities and your skills and an awareness of how to use them to the full without overdoing it as well. Okay. Knowing yourself, knowing yourself and knowing your opponent very, very well is one of the huge strengths of a professional player, because you might be playing mind games with yourself where you're trying to extract even more out of your performance, but you're not really there. Okay. So you're trying to bring out something that is way beyond your actual level, but a really experienced top player, they would go right to the edge, extracting the most out of each component that makes them win, be it strategy or uh, emotional calmness or, or techniques or tactics or whatever they are really getting to the limits of their threshold and extracting the best performance without going beyond. Because if they go beyond, they risk uh, tiring themselves out into wrong parts of the match. They could even tire themselves out for the next match. They could be making more errors, whatever. They know exactly what it takes and how much they need to put in to win a match. And that comes with a lot of sense and feel for what is happening on court mm. and a lot of experience. They need to have that feel linked to memory yeah. because they need to go back to similar experiences from their past matches and have to be able to draw on that and come to the best balance and conclusion that can take them through to win. So it takes a, a huge amount of maturity apart from all the other uh, skill components and 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 fitness and resilience and uh yeah and else you can uh, that's I think a very overlooked area of the game as well. I think that ability to absorb and to uh, kind of take be in the moment as well, you know. I think that's awesome, but a, a, a little change up here just going to the British Junior Open um the start of this year and seeing so many talented juniors there. And it seems to be like just year after year after year, there's just another crop and another crop. And maybe Ali can speak to this as well. Just if you look at the tour right now, you've got guys like Ali and like Yusuf Ibrahim coming through as well, back on the tour. There's just an abundance of just quality Egyptians coming through more and more. Um, what do you put that down to? Uh, them coming through earlier than most other countries. I mean, like you said, like growing up in Egypt and, and playing with top players and competing week in and week out with those top players, you sort of start having a little bit of an edge at a younger age. And then in, in those junior tournaments in the recent in the recent past, when you when, when you travel and, and 
and as an Egyptian or Egyptians have been, you know, sort of dominating those, uh, those tournaments internationally, but you know, it's, it's, it's when, when we, what we saw recently at the British junior open, it wasn't necessarily only dominant by, uh, Egyptians. I mean, uh, you know, the U S has been making significant strides in terms of developing juniors and, you know, at the same time, there are many great non-Egyptian players emerging on the international squash scene. And, and I don't know, I think time by time, it's going to be more global, I would say. Mm. But I, ho- I hope we can enjoy a little bit of Egyptian dominance, dominance a little bit in the future. Enough, you know, players in the stables that uh, can continue... This episode is sponsored by Green Psych, a multi-layered psychology practice dedicated to athletes located in Haverford, Pennsylvania. One of our most successful podcasts to date was season two, episode three, entitled The Missing Link, a look at the psychological aspects of squash with famed sports psychologist Dr. Mitchell Green and top USA PSA player Todd Harrity. Dr. Green has just launched a new book entitled Courage Over Confidence. In this comprehensive compilation, Dr. Green teaches good players to become great competitors. In a four-step approach, Dr. Green explains how to tame your doubts, manage low confidence by focusing in on action goals and playing with courage. Dr. Green has been working with high-level squash players from juniors to collegiate to professionals and Olympians for the past 15 years. So head over to Amazon and get a copy of Courage Over Confidence. Dr. Green has been a true asset to the squash community. So uh, in terms of maybe switching gears a little bit, um, you know, the way I look at squash and training a player, I mean, it's like a pie and there's all these different components. There's solo, there's match play, there's fitness, there's nutrition, there's clinics, there's private lessons. I mean, I know as they get older, you know, into the 15s, 16s, as opposed to the, you know, 11 and under, and when you really just want to sort of develop a swing and the kids are having fun and, you know, the junior player decides to own the game for himself rather than, you know, own for the parents and whatever. Hashem, what is your philosophy on that? For like a typical 15-year-old, what is sort of the recipe or the components that you think are most important for the player and their development. So as, as you mentioned, we talk about the, the, the fitness, the, the diet, we talk about the, uh, the ability to move around the court, the ability to retrieve, because you could be a very, very fit player, but not be able to get the ball back. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a huge skill of how you move and shape up to the final position and what kind of racket work you, you use to be able to get that ball back into a safe place and you become a good retriever rather than a fit player. You know, there's a, a huge difference there. So you look at that as well, the strategy, the the, the tactics, the, the, the emotional side, the, the mental side and being able to stay focused and, uh, and, and stick, stick to your strategy and all that. You know, all these components are extremely important. And as the junior becomes older, the more and more important it is that all of these components are well-developed because you're playing against stronger players, uh, players that understand the game even more, and they're going to exploit your your weakness. So as as players get older and better, obviously they can't have these um, 
these loopholes. But then again, uh, so so we we do like to, or or in my way of of coaching and uh, you know following kids and giving them homework to do as well, apart from those hours that I spend with them or with their fitness coach, I try to sort of educate them on how to fill in the gaps, how to live as a squash player. Uh, in terms of uh, taking care of their rest, their nutrition, because everything goes hand in hand. But at the same time, you get kids that are physically slightly different. Somebody who's going through a growth spurt, somebody who's tall, somebody who's short and agile, somebody who's bulky but strong, uh, somebody who's got really good uh, racket control as opposed to somebody who's got a lot of power in their game. Uh, somebody who is a powerful mover as opposed to an agile mover, somebody who's tricky, uh, somebody who's very easy to read. So you're always going to look at what kind of stage they're in, what do the conditions allow you to focus on more, and what do they need most at this moment in time, especially when you watch their matches, what do they need to develop most at this moment in time. So there's no formula for every player. I would say that you would really have to dedicate the time to your to your kids, to study them well, to understand them in terms of personalities on court, how much tenacity they have, how much they're able to fight and not give up or go for the for the winner and the easy rally too soon with, you know. Mm. And you just have to go through every particular uh, aspect of that player and and treat them as an individual instead of you know trying to make them do all do the same thing equally well um, you know there are different stages in their development with you know some skills are higher than the others and you and you need to constantly adjust yeah what do you think the um, pathway to the next five to ten years of squash will be like in Egypt you see more and more coaches coming over to the States um, from Egypt or uh, some big names. Um, what do you see the future going on back there um, for both of you? Sure. That's a, that's an interesting question. I mean, like you said, the U S is attracting some of the best juniors in the world and some of the best coaches in the world. And, and um, not only from Egypt, actually from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um that's not necessarily a bad thing for Egypt or the U.S. I think that's only going to help the U.S. improve a little more, but also for Egyptians right now, the competition is still going pretty well. They're doing well in juniors. They're doing well in Egypt and internationally. So I think I think it's going to be strong not only in Egypt but globally, but I don't think it's going to stop getting stronger for Egypt anytime soon. Mm. Um, I, I think there are always factors that are going to – uh, pull or push players in a certain direction. A lot of it has to do with the country's, um, you know, what it's going through, uh, what the society is going through. So, uh, you know, in times where I think there the, the the squash, if the squash in Egypt is going well, um, if there are lots of new courts opening. Uh, if the economic situation is is good, um, then I think it could be attractive for coaches to remain in Egypt and uh, and work there. If, on the other hand, you get moments where uh, the, the country is going through economical problems, 
Uh, it might be, you know, the spark for coaches, certain coaches who are success, already successful in Egypt and think that they can be successful abroad to think, hey, why don't I try this move? Uh, same thing with uh, with players. Uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of uh, families, Egyptian families, used to think about squash as a vehicle towards professional play. Mm. And now you're getting a, a big mix uh, of, you know, families and players pushing towards professional play and others, you know, a huge percentage that is thinking about a chance to get an even higher uh, quality education. And, um, and I think depending on what is happening in the world, you know, um, things are always shifting. And, uh, and I think there was always, there's always going to be something that attracts players to and, and coaches to stay in Egypt or, or move around. And uh, I think this has been that way all the time. There are always the pros and cons. And, and that's why not all the uh, Egyptian coaches are here or not all the Egyptian coaches are, are back in Egypt. And the same thing with, with players. Uh, here you could have a very good environment in terms of education, not necessarily in terms of your squash training. I'm sure that most colleges here in the U.S. have fantastic training for their players. I'm not sure about schools. Uh, some of them do. A lot maybe don't. And, you know, to stay in Egypt where there is a richness and depth in, in, in play, uh, yeah. that, you know, that's a factor to consider as well. So I'm not sure, you know, exactly how things will play out, but I'm sure that, you know, the U.S. is always going to be an interesting uh, place to be and and levels of play and coaching are always going to rise. Right. It's pretty incredible. The uh, If you, you know, take a slice out of the U.S. players, you know, 10 years ago versus today, the depth, it really has changed. And, mean, and quality, uh, and definitely the quality and levels. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the U.S. women's national team has had a lot of success. And um, but the men's team in the U.S. is is sort of lagging behind. I mean, there's, you know, players coming up and uh, but they see, it just have seem to have a difficult time cracking through and, and getting into that top echelon. So what do you think is sort of is the difference why the women have made, you know, more significant strides as especially recently, as opposed to the men here in the United States? Um, I'll pose that to either Ali or Shem. I, I think when it when it comes uh, to the women's team, I mean, Amanda and Sabrina are definitely a very important component of, of the U.S. team and always have been. And uh, I would say that, you know, a lot of merit goes to their to their dad, uh, who not only always was backing them and teaching them when they were kids, but also all the trips done to um, to Egypt and their training in Egypt. So they've had a great uh, an excellent mix of competing in Egypt and and here in the in the U.S. And I think that. You know, they they have definitely uh, given rise to the U.S. team in uh, junior level and also in the women's team. Uh, I'm sure there are other players as well. 
I have uh, Olivia Fector and Olivia Blatchford. Absolutely, absolutely, and all respect to their achievements and and abilities, and congratulations on their success with the U.S. team. But I think Sabrina and uh, especially Amanda, because also breaking through and and being the first to actually make others believe that we can go to those really high levels. I think that's an important component. Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of the, the the guys, as you were saying, at junior level, um, the the level here in in the U.S. was very very different. Okay. So why don't we assume that, you know, we're going to get some professional players out of today's juniors or tomorrow's juniors, which are going to be already playing at a very high level when they're kids and going when they, also when they're kids to the uh, Dutch Open, German Open, US, uh, sorry, uh, British Open and producing results and gaining confidence and then becoming men players. I think when they go through this process of being very talented and good competitive juniors and then become the men players, I think you will start seeing a different uh, kind of result uh, appearing on the horizon. Really, just a quick question. I mean, so you're becoming and traveling, you know, for the U.S. Open as we spoke earlier i was just wondering um in terms of like looking at the u.s player you know eight years ago as opposed to the junior player today what do you see different and um because the level again you know they have a whole different you know structure in junior tournaments here in the u.s and even it's just like a gold tournament which is a little below the jct and the national tournament the the competition if you took you look at that 10 years ago i mean Anyone can go sort of, you know, and maybe play a gold tournament and, you know, do well. But now, you know, there's no gimmies anymore. And um, so what do you what is your view on the, on the U.S. player just from an outsider? I mean, it, it's just, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, coming in as a 10 year old and now I'm 23 and, and I, I've been living in Philadelphia for the last four years and seeing those JCTs and the Penn Squash Center and the and the and the National Center and all those great kids coming up and. And, and all those parents supporting and, and with amazing coaching from coaches from all over the world, like all these things are developing the U S player. And, and, and obviously it's good to see, it's good for the sport. And, and I remember when I was at Brooks at the time in 2015, 2016, there weren't that many players to play around with in Boston. And, and now there are so many, now I've been going to Boston training with those young juniors they're available in Philadelphia. They're available in the West Coast and sort of all over the, all over the U.S. So it's it's good to see the development in, in, in U.S. squash. Yeah, I think it's great for the game. And one thing I'd like to add is while you're getting this uh, new crop of very good, talented juniors, they're also watching more and more uh, grown-up players who are visiting the U.S. more, training more in the U.S., and so there's more exposure to to this perfect squash, uh, or let's say let's say to us this is the best squash that we know, and so we can call it perfect squash. And and these kids are watching this perfect squash, uh, so that there's a lot to learn from and, and aspire for uh, watching these mm-hmm. professionals. So a quick one here on Ali, like so you you basically grew up playing in Egypt and then came over to the states. You actually 
to say you played at a very high junior level, but you spent a fair bit of time in the States. What do you put that down to? I, I know you may have worked with Kareem in Boston. Maybe you want to go into a little bit of depth. What, what got you to that top, top junior level, but still being based in the States? Uh, do you want to speak a little bit more to, to that? Yeah. Um, I, I moved to the U.S. when I was 15, but before that I lived in Egypt, played almost every junior's tour. We had the tournament like every other week yeah. in Egypt. So I, I, I'm a very competitive kid, and I always wanted to play those those tournaments in Egypt. And I never really got the chance to play the British Open because I was born on January 1st. So oh. my, <laughs> my birthday always got affected with the, with the tournament because it starts on the 2nd. But when I moved to the U.S., things were a little different because I, I didn't play any of those gold tournaments, any of those JCTs. The only the only tournament I played all year was the U.S. Junior Open. Um, so for me, I really had my eyes on that tournament every year. I would I would I I wanted to prove that I can still compete at the top level with those guys that were home and those guys that are playing not only in Egypt but all, all over the world and and having that having that goal and having Kareem obviously like you mentioned helping me throughout uh, throughout my time at Brooks helped a lot and. Whenever I whenever I got the chance, I always went back to Egypt on breaks, and uh, that was not really vacation for me. That was that was the time where I actually got the training. Uh, sorry. Yeah, why, I was wondering why was that? You know, you're, you're doing quite well, you're improving, but you still want to go back to Egypt and get a little top up. What what is what is the reason to go back there? Because what more did it add? You know what I mean. Well, for me, it was a good time to catch up with my family and my friends and, and meet with my, my teammates. And, and I love squash. Like squash is – I'm not playing squash for anything but the fact that I love the game so much and I want to improve and I want to reach my full potential. So whenever I go back home, vacation to me was seeing my friends at the club and playing with them and training with them and getting better and then going back to the U.S. and seeing how much I've improved. So, uh, so it's a combination of, you know, enjoying the game, loving the game, but also wanting, wanting to compete at the highest level. And I think also having Kareem and, and my brother, my brother was at Harvard when I was, when I was in Brooks and he was only like 30 minutes away. So having his guidance as well helped a lot. What's he up to nowadays? He's, uh, he's expecting a baby soon. So, uh, (laughs) he's, he's he's an all grown man now. (laughs) Is he still involved in the game? Uh, a little bit. I mean, he uh, he works at Comcast in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and he coaches a little bit on the side. That's awesome. That's awesome. And do you, do you, do you have a, a specific person that made a real big uh, dent in your improvement? Someone that really took you to that next level? Do you have anyone in mind? I know there's lots of people. It's it's hard. It's hard pinpointing just one person. Obviously, it's it's a little great. Great. someone. Yeah, well, on the professional on the professional side, it's obviously Coach Hisham. I've been working with him for the last year, and it's been helping a lot recently. And at, at Brooks, it was Kareem Shuhayev, who's been working with me since I was a junior. And obviously, my time at Penn was a big yeah. transition from from the junior, from being a junior player to being a, a college squash player was huge. I mean, I working with Gilly Lane and Stuart Crawford and and having my teammates around me and competing week in and week out with other top professionals. I mean, having all those people in my corner was, was amazing. Got some great squash brains there, eh? People who really <laughs> see the game different ways. Yeah. And it's, it, it, I mean, 
and every phase is different. Like I'm learning that playing in college, it's different than playing in juniors and it's different than playing professionally. And, and for each phase, you need different guidance. And right now I'm really happy working with uh, Captain Shem. That's awesome. That's yeah. it. I think uh, <laughs> Captain Shem, I think, sees the game, you know, sometimes it's hard to really see the game in the right way. And is seeing the game at a junior college at professional level is, is, is different. And um, so, I mean, I think it's great. He's in your corner. We've known him for a long time. And uh, I think his thought process and uh, you know, the way he analyzes things, I think is what you need at the moment. And uh, I think uh, you've, you've made a nice splash so far and I'm sure it's going to continue. Um, when you look at some of the great Egyptians, is there any way to compare, like, you know, the top, you know, the Shabanas, the uh, Baradas, Ashur, um, and now Farag and Shurbuggy, and the list keeps going on and on and on. Is there, I mean, I, I think it's like anything. It's generational. Uh, I don't know if you could actually, you know, put a, you know, a stamp on the greatest of all time from Egypt, but... Uh, what are your thoughts, Hashem, about, you know, on the, on the male side and maybe even on the women's side? I don't know. So it, it's an incredibly interesting question because, uh, you know, they all went through different eras. The, the background, the environment is different. They're also very different players. Um, you get somebody like Shorbagi, who is, yes, very disciplined, very tough mentally, hungry to win. But you know, at the same style, at the same time, his style is is power. His style is endurance and being resilient. His style is uh, maybe not too many errors, so that you know you have a uh, a fantastic uh, winner to error ratio, and you're difficult to beat. And and then you come to somebody like Rami, for example, who is very very different because he relies mostly on certain techniques. He's definitely invented certain techniques yeah. as well. Uh, you know, he's invented certain tactical plays in part of the court and he's incredibly talented, entertaining to watch. But at the same time, you have somebody who is uh, more fragile physically. So he, we all know about the, the, the history of Rami going in and out of, uh, of injuries. Um, not always being able to maintain and sustain his his fitness, he makes up for it in a in a different way. So you know, for somebody with that kind of physicality or or without it, and 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 still being able to make inroads and incredible results, uh, you know, those are qualities that you can only attribute to to one player. Shabana, for example, was a, another very very talented player. But I think when he produced his best results, he wasn't always the type of uh, player who'd rely on the unexpected shot. Hmm. Very, very talented, but maybe a little bit more structured than Rami. Uh, at the same time, deceptively, incredibly quick on the court. Shabana was somebody who, another, another player who people didn't give him enough credit for how light and quick and good of a retriever he was on on the squash court. Um, so yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to actually compare them. 
to actually say who was the best because you don't just take a cross section of one match and say, oh, this is what his yeah. level is. Uh, you're spreading it out over the whole career, right? And so throughout the career, some players have had incredible results and records, but at the same time, they might not be the nicest player to watch or who you'd consider the most entertaining and talented and skillful. Mm. Uh, but, you know, yes, it's an incredibly different, a difficult question to answer, um, but uh, they're all great in their own, in their own way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Before we just switch gears for just one second, I just want to ask Ali. So, growing up, did you have an idol that uh, you looked up to, and or a couple of them that you really, really motivated you? And like, this is I want to sort of not necessarily pattern my game again, but I want to get to be as good as as they are. I mean, growing up, I was a crazy squash fan, so my idol was always the one who won the, the last tournament. I'd always, I would always like to like hop on the court after tournaments and start like sort of mimicking shots and and. But Rami has to be the one for me. I mean, I, I play very differently than how Rami plays, but he was he was a very exciting player to watch. I mean, the, the things he does with the racket is insane, and and the time when him and Shivano were, were rivals and going back to back, that was a ex- very very exciting time for me. Yeah, so I would say those two. I think you you like Kareem Abdigawad uh, as well. Gawad as well. That that I like to watch him play a lot. His movement and how smooth he is off the ball, and and I try to mimic his forehand, his backhand drop. Oh, I remember coach, coach and I worked on that a little bit. The faster slow or the the the, the fastest slow, yeah. God, he's got that down. It's, it's, he, I think he's one of the players that really isn't talked about enough for just how well he reads the game and sees the ball so early and makes it look so easy. I think he gets a lot of stick, but I think he's so underrated. Unfortunately, he only peaked for about six months or a season. And uh, and that's the unfortunate part. I think if he'd sustained it for longer, um, he, he would have built up a lot of uh, talk from different uh, yeah. parts. It's just like those top tennis players, you know, the fact that they've sustained the Djokovic's, the Dahls and Federer for all these years, I mean, the money, all this stuff, and they still put that to the side and just compete. And it's yeah, just sustaining. It's, it's, it's is crazy. Insane. Yeah. And that's what a, a huge component of what makes a, a player great. Uh, not a flash in the pan or, you know, incredibly talented, could have done more. Unfortunately, didn't. <laughs> mm, well if if we had a message just to share with you know we're all we're all kind of based in a, oh, apart from Ali where it comes in and out of America but where we're where we're uh, saying now based in America what would what kind of advice would you give maybe Ali to a player and and um Hesham to a coach in the states a bit of advice maybe um Ali going through the juniors and uh, through college and now onto the pro maybe some advice you'd give a player looking to do the same and, and Hashem, maybe speaking from experience, maybe some, some advice um, from yourself to a, to a coach. I think for me, the biggest thing is just enjoying, enjoying squash and enjoying the process. Like I found that just being on tour for a year, you can just tell how much the players enjoy doing what they're doing. At least most of them. I mean, 
when whenever I'm just like so tired and I don't want to train and and you know you have those days and the one thing that gets me going it's not like an outcome and I'm going after or anything it's just like the fact that I just enjoy improving and I enjoy I just enjoy the game I enjoy winning I enjoy you know recovering after a loss I enjoyed so much so just an advice I would give to a player coming up is just enjoy the game enjoy the process enjoy the struggle mm, that's great advice and to a coach, I mean, it's it's difficult to um, to give advice to to a coach because coaches uh, usually wouldn't want to intrude. <laughs> but if I if I had to say something, uh, I would say test what you believe in. Like constantly test what you believe in. If you believe in certain ideas, certain concepts. Constantly test them when you're teaching your juniors, when you're watching them play. Uh, make sure that it's not just theoretically correct or there is not a theoretical flaw, but also that it's practical. And and from your experience working that way, is it is it the best way to work? So I, I think you know self self revision is is great. Obviously, keeping your your mind open to other ideas uh, from other coaches, other techniques. Uh, that is all we all, you know, learn as we as we grow older. Uh, yeah. So, so I would say, you know, self test and also keep an open mind. Yeah, like you said about some coaches aren't very open to getting advice. Why well, I think that's the only way we evolve and learn as coaches because the game is changing and we don't know what we don't know. And I think we've got to be able to ask the questions to those players that are coming up because the, the player feels what the coach can't really sometimes. And then the coach sees what the player can't. So you have to be able to evolve with the players, evolve with the coaches, because I think now we're all not, we've figured it out for this long, but it's got to keep evolving, you know? And right. I think so, so coming to that, I would say to coaches, encourage players to talk a little bit more. Yeah, especially especially the juniors that they don't like describing what they're thinking, how they're feeling on court, and if they do, they do it with very very short sentences. So, I think encouraging kids to talk and describe a little bit more can be a very very helpful tool. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, I think we're just going to wrap it up here. I don't know if you guys have anything else that you know topic or something that we didn't hit on, but. Uh, I think uh, you guys have been really informative. And I, I mean, I think there's there's more parity today, but I think for the last 10 years or so, or a little bit more, you know, the Egyptians have really demonstrated the way to go. And uh, I think you guys have both really brought it to the table today. You know, Ali, we're very, very proud of you. And you really seem to have a great handle on things, the right attitude. And I know you're going to grow into a champion because I think you have what it takes. And Hashem, the way you see the game and what you've brought here to the U.S., I think is invaluable. And uh, can't thank you enough and uh, for coming on. Okay, first of all, I'd just like to add that it was, you know, great, great fun doing this. Uh, very nice spending the, the time with Bruce, Charlie, and Ali. It was absolutely great. Uh, amazing to be working with a player like Ali, who has got such great ingredients. 
And uh, I, I just hope that, you know, he loves, continues, you know, to love uh, doing this as a professional and with not any undue pressure on him. Uh, that is that is something that he always has to remind himself, keeping the fun component, no matter how hard or how boring it becomes. Uh, you know, the, the, the actual practical work can be boring. We, we always need to turn it into something that is fun and, and view it as something that is just fun. And uh, it's been great being here in the U.S. It's been great uh, mixing with the squash culture here in the U.S. And uh, and again, part of the squash culture is, uh, is a podcast like this. So uh, thank you very much for having me. And, and thanks, Charlie, for joining. Uh, always a pleasure. It's been an honor, Shem, and I, and I really mean that. And uh, I know this has been a long time in the making, but uh, did. It, act, it, it, act, it actually came to fruition. And it, it, it was just tremendous. And I'm so excited. And thank you again. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I really enjoyed this a lot. I know we wanted to do this for so long, and I'm glad that we actually <laughs> finally found the, the time to do it. And Charlie, I mean, we've we've always met, but it's good to it's good to have a conversation. We talked a couple of times before, but not not in this depth. So it's great it's great to have a conversation with you and uh, Captain Isham. It's been a pleasure working with you in the last year, and I and I can't wait for us to do a lot more. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Well, there's no question we did, and I think Charlie was a huge asset today, and I just want to thank him for coming on. I think he's going to be a fixture with us for a while. Excellent. And uh, his insights, his knowledge, his temperament, all those things just make him just a special person. And uh, he did, he, I think he killed it today as a co-host. So I just want to thank Charlie as well. Yeah, Bruce, it's great. It's great doing this with you and uh, looking forward to the next one. So uh, Hashem and Ali, thank you again. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Bruce. Talk to you soon. Thank oh, you. you. Got it. And Ali, good luck. Ali, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. you for listening to the two dot chronicles hosted by bruce huberman and miles mcintyre as themselves the show is produced and engineered by me james spavelko theme song and incidental music created by spavelko music services have a question suggestion or just want to say hello drop us a message at 908-977-6481 or send us an email at two dot media at gmail.com that's T-W-O-D-O-T-M-E-D-I-A. It may be featured in a future episode. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the Two Dot Chronicles. We upload a new episode every month. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. 